All right. Thank you, guys. I want to say first thank you to Chris for preaching uh, last Sunday. It was a blessing to have the Sunday off. We'd actually planned uh, for Chris to preach weeks prior to uh, last Sunday, not knowing that I would test positive for COVID that very week. And so the Lord is gracious in the timing of that. Um, That being said, uh, we were supposed to start a new series this Sunday through the book of Esther, putting that off one week, uh, if you're okay with that. If you're not, you need to look up a sermon online from Esther because I don't have one for you. So, um, but this past week, uh, just as Chris mentioned, um, most of the, the kids, students here went back to school. Maybe some of you have not yet uh, jumped in, but most of you probably are back in school. Parents, you've sent them away this week. My boy started on Thursday. If you know me, you know that's a bummer for me. Like, that's just kind of like, yeah, not great. Um, I don't like it. I don't like losing the extra time with the boys. I don't like summer ending. I don't like time passing so quickly. It's all just a reminder of the brevity of life and that I am getting old. Um, My youngest son turned 13 years old yesterday, which is infuriating. And those things can be difficult. They can genuinely be hard for us. Those, those things and those seasons of life can be hard, maybe for you as well. And as I considered that, I wanted to look at something that's important for us to consider. What do you do when doubts arise in your hearts and in your minds? What do we do as followers of Jesus? I mean, we just came through this series on the creeds and talking about orthodoxy and how it's important that we believe the right things about God and that we keep the right things, the right things, and the main things, the main things. But there are times, maybe for you right now, even when doubts arise, creep in. And it can look differently for different people. And so to answer that question, or to try to answer that question, what do we do when doubts arise? We're going to look at Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. We're going to go all the way through verse 43 this morning. So go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. And if you're able, as you get there, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read. Luke 24, beginning with verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word again, Lord. It's a gift to us, and we ask that you would help us as we look to it, that you would 
Give us hearts that lean in to your word. Give us hearts that believe your word, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And have a seat. But this point in our text, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he has appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the two on the road to Emmaus, and also to Peter at this point. And those three, as well as other apostles, disciples of Jesus, are gathered together in a room, and they're celebrating the resurrection. They're celebrating this news. The Lord has risen indeed is what they are proclaiming to each other in this room. And the two disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus are recounting the wonderful details of that story. And so you can imagine, it's not difficult to imagine the joy and faith in that moment, right? And yet we learn something really important, really valuable about our human condition. That even in the highest moments, our faith is fragile. Our faith is weak. But the joy of that news is that our salvation, your salvation and my salvation, are not dependent on the strength of our faith and obedience, but on the strength of Christ's faith And Christ's obedience. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Peace to you. Now, they're they're together and while they're telling how Jesus has appeared and that they believe he is risen from the dead, which is just an amazing thing. While that's happening, they're talking about Jesus, and Luke says, as they're talking about these things, about Jesus, Jesus himself appears in the midst of them and says to them, peace to you. Just imagine that, standing there in a room, a group of friends, maybe it's your life group, and boom, Jesus is standing there just appears. John's account tells us that the doors were closed and locked in verse uh, 19 of chapter 20, John 20, 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They're afraid. You can imagine if the Jewish leaders had killed Jesus, then surely they're considering doing the same thing to the followers of Jesus. That's what these disciples are struggling with. Jesus is no longer dead. He's risen. And He appears right there before them. Remember that the two who had seen him on the way to Emmaus had seen him disappear similarly, and now he appears before them. Now, how will these disciples respond? How do they respond to their Lord, their Savior, their Master who they saw die, and now a few of them have seen risen from the dead just appearing before them? Unbelievable joy, relief. 
Jesus' words to them are peace to you. In this circumstance, certainly this is more than just a greeting. Jesus has just purchased peace for them. And he alone can give it. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and your, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace be with you. And we need to know this. No matter the circumstances that surround you, No matter the circumstances you're going through, no matter the circumstances that you face, and sometimes that even overwhelm you, there is peace in Christ. Christ purchased it for us. And He desires that you have peace in Him. Verse 37 continues, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. The disciples are struggling with doubt again. It's not at all surprising that they're startled, right? Anyone would be startled. But they're frightened. It's difficult to explain except that it gives you and me hope. It gives us hope as we see how these disciples are responding immediately after the resurrection. Even after seeing Jesus, we are broken people. No apostle or disciple of Jesus is an exception to that. We doubt. We struggle in our faith. Jesus is the only person in the room then and still today with perfect faith. He is their peace and He is their perfection. And He's our perfection and our peace. They've just been proclaiming the Lord is risen indeed. And now they struggle with doubt. Verse 38, He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus openly addresses their doubts. Maybe you resonate with these disciples. You attend a worship service. You sing about how Jesus died for sins and rose from the grave and that you're free. Then you're driving home and you begin to doubt or fear. Jesus addresses this. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verses 39 and 40. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus wants them to believe and know that he lives. 
And he wants that for you too. The hope that Jesus gives is that he is alive bodily. He's he's saying here in this room, it's really me. It's the same me that you walked with day after day after day that you saw teach, that you, you saw heal people, that you saw me forgive sins. It's me. See my hands and feet. What's he doing there? A ghost, a ghost is not going to have flesh. It's not going to have hands and feet that you can touch and grasp. For them to touch him would show them that he's not a spirit. He's not a ghost. He's touchable. He's seeable. It is so important for us as followers of Jesus to know that Christ is raised bodily. That he is alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul proclaims in such beautiful language, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If Christ is not alive, if he's not standing there bodily alive in the midst of these disciples, we are absolutely hopeless. So he's assuring them in the midst of their doubts, you can believe it's me. It is really me. Verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They still disbelieved, but it adds this time for joy, they are marveling. It seems that faith is gradually being restored. And they're in awe, not knowing what to think. It's just really too good to be true. Yet the next sentence demonstrates they're still not quite there when Jesus says, have you anything for me to eat? Again, he's he's trying to demonstrate to them. He's trying to assure them he is really alive. He doesn't say this because he's hungry. He wants them to know. He wants them to believe in him. And then verses 42 and 43, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Eating again would show them that he's not a spirit, he's not a ghost, he is a body. He's the Savior risen from the dead. Throughout this text, Jesus is assuring the, the disciples who still struggle with doubts, even after seeing the Lord Jesus alive, to believe. Don't 
doubt. There are likely several people here in this room who struggle, as these disciples did, with doubt. I want to say, if, if, you, if you struggle with doubting that statement, do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples and to those who were listening? He said to them, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to men, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? You know what's crazy about that statement? Jesus says, you're evil. He says, I'm evil. It, and that's because he's right. He's right. He's not evil, and we are evil, and that's exactly why he had to come to this earth and be slaughtered for us, because he can say in truth and confidence, if you, brother and sister, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to men, how, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you who ask him? Because there's an acknowledgement there. We are desperately in need of Jesus because we struggle and we doubt and we need him. This text brings us hope. How does Jesus address the doubts of the disciples and how can we grow from that? What does Jesus want us to do when we doubt? And we will. But what do we do when doubts arise in our heart? The first is this. Jesus wants his disciples to look at him. To look at him. It's true, isn't it? When, when we begin to doubt, we won't have any hope at all unless we look to the author and perfecter of our faith. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Whatever sin besets you, look to Jesus. The NIV says this, fix your eyes on Jesus. If we try not to doubt by just trying to convince ourselves, by having a strong enough mind or heart, we'll fail. We'll likely struggle with doubts throughout our lives. So we must look to the only one who never doubted. The only one who never doubted. Jesus was faithful even unto death on our behalf. And his righteousness is credited or counted to those who believe in him. And part of that righteousness is that he never doubted. He never doubted. So we must look to him and even trust that his faithfulness is sufficient even when we are faithless. Now, how do we do that? How do we look at Jesus? The answer is through His Word. 
the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. John tells us in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if you want to look at Jesus, you look at Him through the Word. Jesus is saying when you doubt, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at me and see that I'm alive. Secondly, Jesus wants His disciples to listen to Him. He wants, he wants His disciples to look at Him and He wants His disciples to listen to Him. Ultimately, as you consider these disciples in the text, the cause of the doubts is that they did not believe what Jesus had said to them. If they had believed, they'd have expected to see Him. There would be amazement still, but not unbelief, not doubt. And Jesus is saying, stop doubting and look at the evidence of the resurrection. See that I'm alive. Consider the implications and let that bring hope. You're going to be restored one day better than ever. You're going to be more human than you've ever been. You'll be perfect. You'll be holy. And you will never, ever doubt again. And that's the message of 1 Corinthians 15. If you listen to the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died and is very much alive, you're going to be changed. Doubts will be addressed by listening to the truth of God's word that tells us how Jesus was raised from the dead, that he's alive, never to die again. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and that truth should encourage us to help others when they doubt. That's what Jude writes in verse 22, and have mercy, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Why? Because Jesus has mercy on those who doubt. Let it be hopeful to you that even the disciples who had seen Jesus alive still struggled with doubts again. Let that be hopeful. But let the words of Jesus bring more hope. The Lord's desire is clearly that we not be troubled with doubt. But there's hope that we need not despair. The Lord is not surprised. The Lord is not surprised by your unbelief. The Lord is not surprised by my doubting. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
He's not surprised by your doubting. But He wants you to not be troubled in doubts. Jesus came and lived a perfectly righteous life. He never doubted His Father. He never failed. He was tempted in every way and didn't sin. He trusted His Father completely. He obeyed Him fully. And so when Paul says to the Romans and to the Galatians that we are counted righteous in Him, it means that His faithfulness, that the glorious truth that He never doubted His Father, that is credited to my account. That faithfulness is credited to your account. We are holy and blameless before Him because our feeble faith is overcome by His faultless faith. When the Father in Mark 9 says to Jesus, help my unbelief, Jesus does with faultless faith. And so what should we do? Again, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I want to share something with you before we finish. I was looking over some old sermons and came across the sermon that I preached the first Sunday that we were not meeting in person because of the COVID quarantine. It was almost two and a half years ago, March 20th, 2020. You guys remember 2020? You guys remember that? But in that sermon, I read Luke chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. It says this, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And I commented on that verse this way. There's a few things that I said. We can live even in circumstances where we fear the unknown without fear, without worry or anxiety. Again, please don't hear me dismissing the circumstances. They are real and they really do cause anxiety because they bring the reality of death so near to us. We desperately need a right perspective on God and His sovereign and good hand. We need to trust in Him for life and salvation. Now, those words are true. It's true that we need a right perspective on God and His sovereign and good hand, and that we can live without fear and worry and, and anxiety. That's true. But it's also true that I preach those words not knowing that within a few short weeks, my body would crumble into the worst season of anxiety I've ever, ever experienced in my life. A season I literally pray I never experience again. And there were multiple things happening with COVID and with other circumstances at the time, and my body and my mind could not take it. I literally felt like I couldn't breathe. I would, I would go home every single day and just lay in my bed and hope that I wasn't dying for weeks. 
I was afraid and I was anxious. In those moments, I needed to know that my hope was not built on my own personal faith and ability. I needed to know the strength and faithfulness of Jesus. I needed to look on Him. And by His grace, I did some. Not constantly. I felt like I couldn't see Him at times. But He was there and He was faithful. It was, it was literally in the midst of that. Dave Martin sent me a song during that season. He didn't know my circumstances, but it's, it's one we sing together now. Christ, our hope in life and death. I listened to that thing on repeat. I mean, just over and over and over. And it's that truth and that truth alone that will sustain us in doubts and anxieties. They're going to come. They do come. Because we're not Jesus. We're called to look to Jesus. Something I said in that sermon in 2020 was this. One of the things I'm praying is that this season, doing school at home and being with each other constantly will be something my boys look back on and remember with joy. That they remember a joy from me, a peace from me, a love from me, and a time we grew together in Christ. As I consider that now, I wish I hadn't said that. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with it, but my hope should have simply been that they see the faithfulness of Christ in that season. Not how well Dad handled it, because I didn't, but Christ did. And that's what I want my boys to know. Their dad, their pastor, their friends, their future spouse, their kids will all stumble through this life, every last one of them. But Christ is a rock. Christ is a sure foundation. Christ and Christ alone is who we build our hope on. As the theme of that March 20th sermon attempted to proclaim, He and He alone is the light that has dawned on the shadow of death and doubt. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. Even in His darkest hour, Christ never doubted His Father. That's why we can look to Him in hope. He laid down his life for us, for our sins, for our doubts, for our fears. He laid down his life for us. And it's what we, it's what we rehearse every single week as we take the Lord's Supper together. We take, his, take the bread remembering his body that was broken for us. Something that we could not have done for ourselves. We take the cup remembering his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Something we never could have dealt with and handled on our own. That He did it for us. And He says, trust in me. Look at me. And so if you're here today 
and you don't know Christ, that is what Christ did for you. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never did a single thing wrong. And purposefully, he laid down his life. He was killed for the sins of all of those who would trust in him. So that if if you believe in him, if you put your trust and your hope in Christ, the Bible says that your sins are counted to him. They're, They're put in his account. It's why he died. And that his faithfulness and righteousness is put in your account. You're counted right, faithful, clean. And that you'll be with him forever. And so if you've If you've not trusted him before, our desire today is that you would do that today. As people are dismissed to come up and take the bread and take the cup and take it back to their seats, just just take this time to consider Christ. Our hope is that you'd partake of Christ today, not that you'd partake of the, the symbols of what he did, but you'd truly partake of Christ. If you do know him, maybe you're in a season of doubt right now. Christ is enough, and his sacrifice is enough for you now. And so as we come together and we receive the bread and the cup, we take it back to our seats, as we sing, as we set our hearts on him, let's prepare ourselves to worship him and to proclaim the Lord's death as we take the bread and the cup together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for your grace. You're so good to us, Lord, so kind, so patient, so caring. You care about our needs. You care about our hurts. You care about our fears. You care about our doubts. You care about every single one of our struggles. You care deeply about us. And we praise you Lord, we praise you that you have accomplished for us what we could never have done for ourselves. You have made a way for us to be saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so even in these moments as we remember, as we take the bread and we take the cup proclaiming that we believe, Jesus, that your body was broken for us, and we believe, Jesus, that your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, that you'd help us. Help us in these moments not to doubt. Truly believe that you are God. You came in the flesh, that you lived a perfect life, and that you laid down your life lovingly, all of us who would trust in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.